An immensely warm welcome all round for all you lovelies joining me for uh, three hours for the latest episode of Near Perfect Pitch. Yep, it's Near Perfect Pitch time. It's your uh, weekly delve into the new and old and a nice little meld of the two. It's episode 86, and I can tell you this episode is brought to you by Sean McGee, Richard Oakes, Art Magic, the Shortbread Finger and the Furnace Cornish Gingerbread, respectively. Yes, going to be talking to Art Magic at the end of the programme. You've got that to look forward to in about uh, two and a half hours' time. An absolutely superb chat. I'm not just saying that because of uh, my contribution. I'm talking about, ostensibly, Sean and Richard's contribution. Very, very interesting chat and uh, surrounded by three songs by their new and wonderful uh, LP, which we'll talk a lot more about uh, towards the end of the programme. New releases galore. I had to pare them down because there was an absolute uh, litany of them this week, and I'll go in uh, no particular order. Um, I'm going to be hearing something new off the new uh, Lump album. That's the collaboration between uh, Laura Marling, and uh, Mike Lindsay. We're going to hear something new also by uh, Gobinger. I'm assuming that's the pronunciation that I'm getting correct there. Could be well wrong. New material by Audiobook, which is really exciting, in as much as there's a, a new LP by Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever, which is delicious. Johnny Marr's new album uh, is out. It's called uh, Call the Comic. I'm hearing a song off that. Um, Jaguars in the Air, we're going to be hearing that by, uh, by Likey Lee in a nice Scandinavian-themed hat-trick, which is going to be about uh, halfway through the programme. Uh, some uh, new material also by Stray Monroe, in as much as uh, Rue Paynes has a new record out called Quiet Man. It's fantastic. It's uh, his third. Going to be hearing a song off that. And also hearing some new material by Haberdash and Sleep Scent. Kicking the show off with a song that isn't a new release, but it's a belter.
marks in the leopard's eyes Can only help to jeopardize The lives of lambs the shepherd cries An ounce of life for a silver fish Eternal dust, less ticklish Than the clean room, a house gas away Beyond Marvellous. That is absolutely stellar. That is Wire, one of three singles pulled off Chairs Missing from 1978, their second LP on Harvest Records. Genius, Colin Newman. That is what he is. Before that, The Real People, a.k.a. The Realies uh, from Liverpool, uh, the bands uh, that uh, aren't touted, but it's factual. They were the ones that uh, kick-started uh, the, the career of uh, that small little outfit called Oasis. And um, in my humble opinion, I-M-H-O, um, I reckon every single one of their albums is better than uh, Oasis Records, but that's just me. Uh, Dream On, an LP track off their glorious second of six LPs, uh, the LP entitled What's on the Outside from 1996 on the Granite Records a label. Next up, we're going to go to Santa Monica, and there's a band that resides there, and they are called Stray Monroe. Here is a, uh, a single actually it's the lead track to their new uh, ep which you can get your hands on at stray monroe s-t-r-a-y as in marilyn monroe.bandcamp.com the ep is entitled momentary vertigo and here's the lead track of the ep and it's a good one too because i've listened to the ep three times uh, in a row uh, yesterday here's seaside
Jennifer, we can't go wrong, let's put it in writing.
Haberdash. That is new. They're from uh, Sheffield. And if you want to learn more about Haberdash, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Haberdash UK. And that's a single called Like a Lover. And I uh, got that uh, in, in the post a couple of weeks ago as a promo. And uh, it is uh, it's a really nice poppy tune, though, isn't it? Before that, back to 1987, the second single off Lloyd Cole and the Commotions third and last LP as Lloyd Cole and the commotions before Lloyd went solo of Mainstream. That is the second single, Jennifer, she said. Up next, we're going to go back to 1996 and hear an LP track off an album that uh, really, I believe, deserved more.
is absolutely delectable. That is Rue Paynes, a.k.a. Andrew Rue Paynes, an English uh, singer-songwriter. And this is off his third LP on the frankly fantastic CRC Records. More from this label later, but we'll hear some, uh, some white horses later in the programme. The song we heard by Rue Paynes, A Message to Myself, is the lead track to the brand new and third LP, Quiet Man. Go to crcmusic.co.uk slash artist slash Rue R-O-O hyphen Paynes buy this record it's absolutely phenomenal and before that uh, another track uh, from Sheffield in addition to the Haberdash track which preceded it except the uh, Long Pigs are a slightly uh, more established band with all due respect to Haberdash now that uh, is on Mother Records off their WLP of course from 1996 entitled The Sun Is Off and Out and that was an LP track entitled Elvis and a good one it is too next up we're going to hear something by Madder Rose
about you tonight I'm not dreaming about you tonight Oh my, mind Can't let go
That's James. That's busted off the brand new EP, Better Than That, which is a, a teaser release, really, for the forthcoming new LP, which is out on August the 3rd, entitled Living in Extraordinary Times. Go to wearejames.com to learn more and to order your copy. Pre-order it. Do it now, please. Before that, we heard something from El Paso, Texas, off their WEP. It's better that you don't speak or think. That's Sleep Spent with a track called Roots. And go to sleepspentband.bandcamp.com to not just learn more, but also to buy this particular EP. And uh, we kick things off with uh, the Mary Lawson-fronted Madder Rose with uh, a beautiful track, Lights Go Down, off the WLP from 93. Bring it on down on Seed Records. We are 10 songs into the programme. Lots to look forward to including all of our special features, which I haven't even touched upon yet, have I? Got our weekly peel this week, it's uh, the Cocteau Twins. We've got a Scandinavian hat trick coming around the corner. We've got Tinterweb Time. We've got Essential Wax, which this week is uh, Catherine Wheel, uh, for Ment from 1992. We've got our obligatory fall ah, track this week, which is a, a slightly different uh, delivery to, to normal because it's, it's World Cup time and uh, wanted to uh, play a song that had a football degree of prominence to it. And uh, we've also got Cover Me, which which this week is uh, brought to you by television personalities, which is rather good. And then at the end of the programme, you got to look forward to uh, a chat with Sean McGee and Richard Oakes from Art Magic. And I highly recommend uh, getting your ears around that and listening to every single word. It's a lot of fun. It's very informative. And more importantly, the record is absolutely phenomenal. And again, I'll be talking more about that nearer of the time. What is coming up next? What have I got queued up? Oh, yes, there's a brand new Johnny Marr album, isn't there? And it is rather good. It's called Call the Comet. Here's a song called Hey Angel.
Mitosis, the genius of Dom Thomas and his band. That is off the second and uh, godlike LP, Empty Words, out on CRC Records. Brilliant stuff. That is, again, White Horses. Before that, uh, we had Johnny Marr off his brand new Call the Comet LP, Hey Angel. And uh, we are now firmly 12 songs in to the programme. I should remind you that uh, if you're inclined for a bit of a peripherals, uh, I do have uh, an Instagram feed at, uh, at Near Perfect Pitch, a Twitter feed at Near Perf Pitch, which seems to be the one getting the most activity, and a Facebook page and a URL, nearperfectpitch.com, where you can point people to. If you're not that type of person, I totally get it. I'm more concerned with you just listening to the programme and spreading the word. Now, it's time for a hat trick, and as I mentioned earlier in the programme, it's going to be a Scandinavian hat trick, starting with this beauty by Denmark's The Ravenettes. <laughs>
Scandinavian hat-trick and we ended it off with the rather dreamy Swede uh, Likey Lee or Licky Lie, I don't even flip in know nowadays uh, it's actually, she's actually called uh, Lee Licky Timotej Zacharyson, that's off her fourth and new LP, so sad and sexy, bit dream poppy, bit ethereal had to chuck it in there and that's off this fourth and brand new LP entitled Jaguars in the Air. Before that, uh, going from Sweden to Norway, that is uh, Even Johansson, a.k.a. Magnet, off his second and quite brilliant LP, On Your Side, from 2003, and a track called Nothing Hurts, and kicking things off uh, with uh, the Danes, the Danish duo of the Ravenettes, kicking off our Scandinavian hat-trick with a track called Ignite that features on 2011's LP, Raven in the Grave on Vice Records. That is their fifth LP. So that's this week's hat trick handily taken care of. Now it's time for our peel session track of the week, our weekly peel. Here's Cocteau Twins. <laughs> Thank you. 
Catherine Wheel. That's Black Metallic. And that is one of two songs that I'm going to be playing for you off our Essential Wax this week, which is Catherine Wheel's Ferment from 1992, before I get into somewhere nitty-gritty here with regards to this particular LP. I can tell you what we heard before we heard Black Metallic by Catherine Wheel. We heard the fantastic Melbourne's... Uh, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever, or Rolling Blackouts CF, depending on what we want to call them, off their brand new and second full-length Hope Downs on uh, Sub Pop. We heard a track called Talking Straight. What a band they are. Hoping to have them on the show at some point. Keep keep trying. They are stellar. Again, that's Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever, and that was preceded by Ivo, uh, a tribute to Ivo Watts-Russell of uh, 4AD Records, of course, and the Cocteau Twins. Uh, that's their rendition for John Peel from September the 5th. 1984. So we've had our Scandinavian hat trick, closely followed by a weekly peel in the shape of Cocteau Twins, then followed by our Essential Wax, which I can then uh, further articulate upon now. Catherine Wheel's Ferment from 1992, their WLP on Fontana, recorded over the course of 91 and 92 at Mono Valley Studios in Wales and produced by the legend that is Tim Fries Green, ex-Talk Talk, uh, producer extraordinaire, and John Lee, and it actually reached uh, 36 in the proper, proper charts, as it were. Uh, the album um, features, actually, uh, four songs that were recorded while uh, they were independent prior to their signing to the major label, and they were all uh, re-recorded uh, for the uh, the LP itself and what I'm talking about specifically of the track Shallow I Want to Touch You She's My Friend and Salt so they were all independently released on uh, a series of 12 inches prior to their signing to Fontana so they're all different versions if you've got those versions you'll well know that they are indeed different to the, the versions that appear on this record right uh, it did spawn a load a load of singles and uh, that one was just one of them, uh, Black Metallic, and we're going to hear now an LP track, Flower to Hide. Thank you. 
Piece of life stuck in your spine. I'm, I'm the noble thing you had to write. Ooh, I'm the piece of time that won't be moved. Ooh, I'm the piece of pain sucking your tooth. I'm a woman. 
distillery blue You write your letters in a certain hue I, I am a rage of colors across the sky Formed of light, be a man, certain guy. We're a woman of a certain place and time. We are children, milk of our mother. We were born under rolling thunder. I'm your mother. collaboration between Laura Marling, who had an NLP last year called Semper Femina, which I've played tracks from, and I urge you to get all her material, but that's by the by. Uh, collaboration uh, with Laura Marling and Mike Lindsay, who was the founding member of uh, Tongue and Throws. Together, they go by the name of Lump. The debut fruits of their collaboration is the self-titled debut Lump, and we heard a song called Rolling Thunder, and that was quite beautiful, and uh, should be playing more from that uh, in coming weeks again. Do get your hands on it. Laura Marling, in conjunction with Mike Lindsay, their first collaboration, Lump, and the LP is entitled The Same Name. Before that, we heard the, the second and last track of our Essential Wax this week, which is 1992's Ferment by Catherine Wheel, the greatest band to ever come out of Great Yarmouth. I think I can say that hand on heart. A uh, little tidbit of uh, trivia here. Uh, singer-guitarist frontman Rob Dickinson is the cousin of Iron Maiden's Bruce, as if you care. Uh, and about this uh, LP specifically, when it did uh, first come out on Fontana, uh, a, a very uh, select few uh, came with a second CD uh, of uh, an EP recorded live at Bath Moles Club uh, in November of 1991. Lucky to have that myself. And it was re reissued uh, entirely in uh, March 2010 and 
contained loads of bonus tracks, including the uh, the non-LP-tracked EP 30 Century Man, which uh, features, uh, well, on, on many people's best of Catherine uh, Wheel's playlists, and also featured both uh, sides of the Balloon single, also featuring a ton of extensive sleeve notes. Right, that's our essential wax. Uh, we've also heard some lump. Now it's time for Cover Me. Back in 1994 on Alias Records came a compilation called We're All Normal and We Want Our Freedom. A compilation uh, that is was a tribute to Arthur Lee and Love, the magic, the genius that is, featuring bands such as Gobblehoof, such as Das Damon, H.P. Zinken, Teenage Fan Club even, God bless them, the Gamma Rays, and this particular belter by television personalities. You Depressed, you dig against my thigh when we hugged. I didn't ask for it. You're not the one I want. Cause you're a big bitch and you know it. Even when you try not to show it, you're a
sentiment that was. That is Gobbinger from New York off their debut full length entitled Ocala Wick. Go to gobbinger.bankup.com and that is spelled G-O-B-B-I-N-J-R. It could be Gobbin Jr. I just don't know. And that's a song called uh, Fake Bitch. Beautifully lyrically, wasn't it? But uh, delivered in a, in a fey twee way that was completely and utterly inoffensive. Before that, you are something, a cover version by television personalities of We Are All Normal and We Want Our Freedom, a tribute to Arthur Lee and Love that came out in 94. And uh, I think that's up to date now, aren't we? That's uh, Cover Me Out The Way, that is Essential Wax sorted, Weekly Peel sorted, Scandinavian Hat Trick is sorted. Now it's time for our obligatory full oh, track. And this week, it's a little different in that um, you, you know, unless you live in a cave, um, that uh, the World Cup is now well and truly underway. And in keeping with uh, the World Cup, there are always, especially in the UK, songs written to celebrate yeah, the imminent failure of, of, of the England team uh, at hand. In 2010, this was written by the wonderful Jenny Shuttleworth, Marky Smith of The Fall, of course, and Ed Blaney, ex of The Fall, now on in his own right with his second LP under the moniker of Blaney. Produced by uh, Marky Smith and Ed Blaney, it's called England's Heartbeat. So in lieu of a specific The Fall, The Fall song, we're going to get a little bit hybridised this week and sort of stretch the genre somewhat and uh, touch upon the realms of football. So here's England's Heartbeat. This 
handful of days old. Brand new stuff from a new outfit called Audiobook, just signed to Heavenly Records. That is the lead track to their Gothenburg EP. And uh, Audiobook is a collaboration between David Wrench and uh, Evangeline Ling. And go to Heavenly Records, sorry, not Records, go to Heavenly Recordings, rather, dot uh, com, where you can learn more and order said LP and get the links concerned. And uh, before that, we had Shuttleworth, which is uh, Jenny Shuttleworth, Ed Blaining and Marquis Smith, a collaboration for... Uh, uh, a World Cup record that came out in 2010, England's Heartbeat, and it is brilliant. And that was our obligatory fall, our track of the week, 808 State.
Manchester's Deja Vega with a single from 2016 entitled Friends in High Places, preceded by, also from Manchester, on ZTT Zang Tong Tung Records from 1989. That's 808 State with the single Pacific 202. Nearly, nearly at the end of the programme where it will be time for you to uh, be treated to an interview with 
Sean and Richard from Art Magic, and uh, we're going to get into more detail imminently about uh, what they do and uh, tease somewhat before you hear the interview. But before we get there, there are a handful of things that we need to attend to, including this. Tinterweb time, boys and girls. That's what that racket entails. This week, I stumbled upon something really, really interesting that I had absolutely no idea about it uh, uh, existing. Um, if you're a fan of the Dream Syndicate, which I know some of you are, um, I found something that uh, was very interesting, recorded in uh, 2017 in uh, in Norway at the, the Vadsa, at the Sun Station Vadsa Festival, rather, June 2017, to be precise. Uh, if you key in, how did I find myself here, featuring John Paul Jones, yes, John Paul Jones, uh, by the Dream Syndicate in YouTube, or just click on the URL in the show notes that I provide uh, regimentally on a weekly basis. It's a very, very interesting 11-minute track of what I've just described. How did I find myself here featuring John Paul Jones? And it is quite wonderful, especially if you're a fan of both bands of uh, Dream Syndicate and Led Zeppelin. So do source that. How did I find myself here? John Paul Jones assisting the wonderful The Dream Syndicate. And uh, that is in all its glory on YouTube. Now, Velvet Crush are back together and they're currently rehearsing in Minneapolis. Glass Modern will be re-releasing their WRP in the presence of greatness on vinyl this autumn. So let's celebrate that, shall we?
magnificent track that is that is art magic with their lead single to their brand new released second lp the songs of other england that is the clean room which of course features on the lp much more to come regarding art magic in in a few seconds but before i delve deeply into their world let you know that we also heard before that track 
Window to the World, a single off their soon-to-be-re-released debut LP, that is Velvet Crush, and a song and a single off Presence of Greatness, originally released in 1991 on Creation Records and also uh, on Ringer's Lactate in, uh, in the US. Now, let's get back to Art Magic. Art Magic are Sean McGee and Richard Oakes, who is also in Suede. Um, Sean McGee, Richard Oakes, Art Magic, the Shortbread Finger, and the Furnace Cornish Gingerbread are what and who are responsible for bringing you today's programme. Let's give you a quick little biog straight from their page, shall we? to uh, give you a very good idea of what we're going to be dealing with here. Six years have passed since Art Magic released their first album, but guitarist Richard Oakes and singer-producer Sean McGee have not been idle. Far from it, really. Uh, Richard returned to a newly reformed suede, reclaiming his place at the heart of their writing team and helping re-establish them with two UK top albums, uh, top ten albums, rather. And uh, Richard, in his own right, is, is just a phenomenal guitarist and, and songwriter. Sean found himself working with Alison Moyet as her backing singer and uh, latterly her music uh, musical director, touring uh, the world twice over with her and notching up co-writing credits on her 2017 Top 20 LP other along the way. Despite their achievements elsewhere, Art Magic always planned to press on. Starting in 2013, they began writing a second LP uh, with neither an abundance of time uh, to tinker or a major label budget to, to fritter away. I love this bio. Uh, they decided to make features of these particular bugs. Taking a cue from renowned filmmaker Derek Jarman, they allowed these restrictions to define the album's aesthetic. Songs were written when spare days could be found and then recorded quickly in a small in small London studios rather. Uh, both wanted a more direct sound, less detail, more focus. Richard's guitar would be front and centre with Sean's voice and analogue synths. Gone too would be the additional musicians. Drums would be provided by Alex Thomas, uh, who drums for Anna Calvi uh, and uh, has also drummed for uh, Square Pusher and John, uh, John Cale. But the duo would play everything else themselves. Sean explains, on a first LP, there's a lot of electronic texture, a lot of watercolour washing over the songs. This time I was determined to make everything more upfront. We had to work fast, so a direct approach fitted perfectly. So let the songs of other England, this wonderful LP, come alive. Let's hear another song off this wonderful record, shall we, before we get into the interview itself. Uh, this song was indeed chosen uh, by one of the gents themselves, The Farmer and the Field. All 
nice and rural, nice and rustic, nice and verdant. The Farmer in the Field, that is Art Magic, another song of the tremendous second LP, The Songs of Other England. A little bit more from the biog before we get into the interview. It says that uh, keen to beat a new lyrical path, Sean drew from his interest in English folk, which you'll hear more of later. He found himself writing character sketches and narratives about lonely fishermen, about elderly women abandoning their religious faith, about Muslim bird watchers, and in the case of the title track, about the traditional song songs themselves rather, and the singers who keep them alive. Musically, however, an adoption of folk aesthetics was never on the cards. Richard took his cues from Peter Gabriel-esque Genesis, uh, Talk Talk, The OCs and Feel Music. Crucially, Sean was determined that Richard's own unique style should drive their songwriting and that there was no attempt made to fit into anyone else's agenda but their own. It's all very well to look back, but pushing forward is, in the end, after all, the most important thing. Nostalgia has no place in art magic's work or their world, I would imagine. Finally, in uh, early 2018, the album was complete. The sound of the record might best be described as crepuscular, uh, a distinct feeling of twilight seen through the dense trees. And uh, as the album progresses, you find yourself walking amongst these trees, becoming surrounded, losing all sense of uh, a world outside as dusk becomes dawn and the occasional shaft of sun penetrates the half-light. Marvellous, marvellous stuff. Over to me now and uh, some banter with Sean and Richard. I'll be back after the interview to wrap things up. How are you both? Well, first off, congratulations, because uh, this is a, a very, very timely chat in that uh, the record is out. Hooray. Yes. Yeah. 20... <laughs> yeah, available from all, uh, from all major outlets. And um, wow, it, it must be, it must be uh, a great feeling for, for the pair of you and, and, and you, Richard, too. I mean, you've been, re- you've been on the receiving end of, of, of two uh, musical births lately, so you're contending with two new releases. Yeah, that's right. Um, the end of September, our magic world. Yeah, so, yeah, two albums in one year. It makes me appear to be very busy. All <laughs> prolific, but it's not true. I'm going to say, is it some kind of like, is it some kind of facade that you're not really prolific at all? Yes, that way it's like, you know, albums are like buses, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Yeah, so, so we can expect what? Two, 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 more, two more albums this calendar year then? Yeah, I mean, in about 10 years' time. <laughs> Yeah, that's the bunk of the, it's six years between Art Magic Records, so yeah. it's whether we can like, fit another one in in the next half decade. Yeah. <laughs> well, if nothing else, you're laboured and, and, and systematic and meticulous, so I mean, you, you have that going for you. Um, yeah. So, so to, to the uninitiated out there, this collaboration, what, what was the genesis of this wonderful coming together of you two? Well, we just got in a room together and... This type of profile song. I mean, the actual mechanics of how we met is incredibly boring. It's <laughs> conversations and swapping emails with people, and it's like there's no kind of like. Do you remember that like that pop duo from the nineties, Charles and Eddie, who had that song "Would I Lie to You" that was a big hit in the UK? Absolutely. And they had this nonsense story about how, oh yeah, man, you know, one of them was on the subway in New York and he had like a Sam Cooke record under his arm, and the other one got talking, and suddenly they make hits. Oh like, right. <laughs> The publicists made that up. Didn't didn't make John, really. So it's we don't have a story that's as interesting even as that. So, um, but the genesis of it is we we've got in a room together with Richard's musical ideas that he'd saved up and right. we started writing over them and it turned into something quite quickly. And as a consequence, we spent a while writing. We put our first record out in 2012. Um, and then for this new album, the genesis of it was that we wanted to try and write everything collaboratively from the off. So we would 
um, steal time, basically, between other projects. I was on tour with Alison Moyer, Richard was on tour and writing the new album Sway. And whenever there was spare time, he'd come over for the afternoon and he'd just sit down with the guitar and I'd sit at the piano and we'd start sort of putting some musical ideas together. Yeah, and with no sort of preconception about what it might be, just whatever mood you're in that day. That's kind of where all the songs came from. So, so, so with that being flippant, it was, it was a very organic thing. You stuck the kettle on it, you just allowed it to happen. Yeah, 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 I think so. Like, there's, you can um, conceptualise a lot about the way an album's going to be, and definitely we do that in Sway. There's a hell of a lot of talking before even a single note has been written. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's necessary, especially for some of the other members of the band, but for me it's sort of, you know, it's all just um, luck until you actually get a song, and the song has to come from somewhere, and, and the somewhere is me sitting down with a guitar and just randomly playing some I stumble upon the right sounding kind of riff or, or idea, which is you know, how you started my thought the last week. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, so that, that's what I do with Sean, but, but there's a bit less kind of fluffy conceptualising. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What probably happens is that, like, when we started the process of writing new songs in earnest back in 2014-ish, um, when you hit on the really good ones, they probably direct you because you once you hit upon an idea that's working or, or an interesting place to go, I suspect that just pushes you somewhere with the next thing that you do. Not that you're trying to replicate it, but once you've worked out an area that seems to be working well for you, you might try and, you know, get some more walls from that particular well. Yeah. I mean all conceptualising around this new record, the Songs of Raymond, was all about how we make the actual mechanics of how it would be made, not really about how we'd write it. The writing was just, we wrote and wrote until we had a batch of songs we were really happy with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but then we did, yeah, we did talk a lot about how we were going to go about recording and arranging well, in a different way to the last record, which was very um, studio-based and, and a lot of the tracks were built up and layered and... Right. Um, what's the word? No, uh, yeah. Well, exactly, that layered and sort of very kind of polished and thought through and yeah. everything in its right place. And this time around, I wanted to leave room for error. Um, I think it's good to have places where everything isn't necessarily decided in advance, where you can end up in interesting places because you leave room for things to kind of not necessarily go wrong, but for sort of sort of humanity to be. So I made a decision early on that there'd be no program drums on the record. There's like I think eight bars of it in one song. Yeah. And then everything else is live drums. And the drums are played by um, Alex. What's Alex Thomas? I don't know. I always going to call him Alex Wilson. I don't know why. <laughs> no, Alex, Alex and Squarepusher, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he yeah. collaborated with Punk um, with and Squarepusher. Alex lives 10 minutes walk from my house here in Tottenham. He's an absolutely phenomenal drummer. He's currently out with um, Anna Calvi. He's drummed all over her new record. He's oh, super. Well. He's fantastic. And he did all the drums for our record, working 10 till 6. Uh, in four days. Wow. Um, and it was such a great and refreshing experience that, like, I mean, because he's so adept as a player, Yeah. If I wasn't sitting there like I've had to do with some people that I've personally worked with in the past, we've gone, oh God, I'm going to have to go to town and project all editing this to make it make sense. <laughs> uh, none of that without it, you know. And I don't mind going through that process because sometimes that's the record you're making where you want to make, like, oh, that record's quite a lot that everything's, because everything has to be in its right place and all this information you're trying to put over, it helps enormously if people are sort of slightly made to conform to a certain template. Yes. Um, it's not necessarily a criticism of the performances they give you, 
but because I wasn't going to do that this time, Alex just kind of let Rick and did all this phenomenal playing on top of it. So, so that was one thing. And then when it came to the guitars, um, last time it was all Richard's guitars plugged into my computer and amp simulators and guitar rig and all that sort of stuff. And it sounds great, but this time it was, let's get Richard's stage rig and let's put it in a room and let's turn it up to kill volume. Superb. And, and record that instead. So it was very much the idea of having air moving through a room into a microphone was the thing we wanted. So yeah. um, we did all that. We found a cheap little studio in West London and we, uh, I say we, uh, Richard bashed through all the tracks and I kind of whipped him for like eight days to do absolutely all the guitars. And then I put the bass down and did the vocals in about a fortnight before I went on tour with Alison Moyer last year, and then we mixed it when I got home, and that was the record. Brilliant! It's it's a it's a beautifully uh, it's a beautifully different process to most people to to to, to render final product. Uh, but 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 you got there in the end. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a rare dynamic where you've both got uh, uh, these these vibrant careers. That work in parallel with this, or, or rather the other way around, this side project works in parallel with, with probably your primary careers. Um, how is time management for you, or, or is it just one of those things that you don't even you don't even think about? It? You just whenever there is time, you just devote it to the next project. Whenever there, there is a, there's an opportunity. Well, the writing like, whenever there's a gap, you just get free. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we get together and write songs, and we did that process for about two and a half years. Yeah, we don't need to sort of. Uh, I mean, sometimes you do need to, to, to be in, in the right head. If you're, if you're starting an intense writing project, you need to get yourself into the right headspace, and that can take some time. That's never really been the case with us. I've always found that we can sort of just slot it in here and there, and we can we can switch from whatever we have been doing um, on the other days. We can switch into kind of our magic mode pretty quickly. But I think that's just because it's so. Um, uh, what's the word? It's, it's, I'd say what I missed in a way. Yeah. It's a terrible word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Last, I know. I think we, we totally understand the sentiment, and and, and it must be. I mean, you're, you're very malleable chaps because if, you know you can go on tour with Alison Moyet and then come back and get refocused, and you can be contributing to material in in in, in Suede and then come back to this project. Um, I find a lot of musicians are very comfortable in in, in their own little uh, in their own little microcosm. You don't seem to have anything remotely microcosmic. It's you've got all these uh, concentric rings of ability and, and, and things going on in your lives. That is there anything that that, uh, that, that you'd like to tackle musically that, that you haven't done? Because you both worked in, as individuals. You both worked in bands. You both worked in a collaboration. Is there something that uh, is on? I hate the expression, but that that bucket list for you as as, as uh, individuals. Well, weirdly enough, um, I did. I came back from uh, Sweden. Well, and the reason I was there was doing a, um, a performance with an orchestra, a guy called Hans Eck um, has an orchestra and he's, he's done a few records where he's done like um, interpretations of music by people like Bowie, Kraftwerk, Eno and Joy Division. Nice. And they were doing, they were doing and yeah, all, all orchestral and, and, and um, they were doing a performance of, of, of Crashing in Stockholm and um, I got in contact with um, one of the guys from the orchestra journalists and uh, he said to me, do you want to be involved? We don't really know what you do, but do you want to be involved? And I said, yeah, definitely, I want to try something new. And um, and I was given a free way to kind of play along with what they were doing and you know, not really knowing whether I was contributing <laughs> anything of any value. Every, everyone seemed to be going, yeah, it sounds great. So I was, I was pleased with the end result. But 
that was something completely new for me. I was, I'm no good at reading music or anything like that, but I am very good at following musicians around me. Yeah. And using instincts to know what to what to play along with them. You know, I've got um, bassoons and oboes and trombones and violins sitting all around me, and I've got to come, and I've got a reverb pedal, and I've got, you know. <laughs> That must have been an absolutely wonderful experience. Now, was that was that put to tape, Richard? Uh, I don't know. I think it might have been recorded, but it was um, the other line. And it was, yeah, it, was, it went really well. And I hope that they get in contact with the band. Yeah. That must have been but a fantastic was, experience, in all truth. Yeah, that was a kind of bucket list thing. I'd like to do more of that. Also, we, um, in 2013, worked on a soundtrack for a documentary that actually never came out in the end, but it was... Um, a case of watching this documentary through and all the people that were the characters that were in it and the people being interviewed and write almost like theme tunes mm, for them yeah. based on and without actually seeing them it was just we had descriptions on paper and it was only towards the end of the process that we saw rushes of these people that were being interviewed but we had descriptions of them and um, we did this whole you know album's worth really of, um, of uh, soundtrack music for this documentary and I was pleased with the end result I'd like to try and do something like that again yeah that would be interesting so, but but actually, never never saw Light of Day. This release is that what you're saying? Yeah, it didn't. I don't think the director could find just the right shape for it because there was a point. Yeah, it's called Down the Hall. Yeah, and um, there was a point after we submitted it where it was initially going to be a 90 minute documentary film, and then he sort of played around with breaking it up into sort of six 15 minute chunks, um, and it sort of it just never quite found its voice. I don't think. Um, so unfortunately, it never got finished, which is a terrible shame because you know we were quite proud of the work that we've done on it. But um, but that's fine, you know these things happen. Was, yeah. Is it, uh, is it something that you own the rights to, so or will it remain in the vault somewhere, or, or will it never be released? Well, funnily enough, like a lot of our fans have said, oh, we should put that stuff out, and it's like, well, you say that, it doesn't really have a context. For it, <laughs> but would you buy it? Because you're often writing a queue where it just, it's four minutes long, yeah. but you're based around the same 30 seconds of material where you're repeating it and changing the emphasis of things or approaching putting different overdubs on it in order to give the director choices about which bits they might want to use. Yeah. You don't necessarily hold together as cogent pieces of, it's not like a cogent four minute song. Sure. I, I, I totally appreciate it. I mean, when I, was, when I was a music rep, I was, you know, paying my mortgage with soundtracks and various Saravan soundtracks, etc., etc. but... To, to the, to the <coughs> excuse me to the soundtrack aficionado and or the real fan, it's something that I'm sure that, that they'd want in their collection. Uh, you know, for instance, if if I follow Echo and the Bunnymen and, and Will Sargent does a rather disparate soundtrack, I'm going to buy the themes from Grind, which I have done just because I'm a fan. I just just being out of pure morbid curiosity, I would love love to hear it because contextually it's a whole different ball game. I remember getting And, uh, you know, discovering no gun soundtrack. Yeah. And wanting to hear all that as well, even though it would be gone. You know, if you understand enough, you're really important to do. You want to kind of experience all of them out, doesn't it? I mean, I think for us, what likes to happen is that we'll probably look at that material again and see if we can rework some of it into a format where it begins to an album. That'd be interesting. Yeah, a reworking of sorts. Yeah, I mean, as long as you, if you've got access to it, it's something that you can sort of work on and. if it happens, it happens. And now, I was going to ask you about, about the clean room because the single came out in uh, in April. Um, and 
I'm just assuming there's a degree of strategy by uh, choosing one song over another as a single in this instance. What, what made you choose uh, The Clean Room? Well, it's really great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from it being fantastic, yeah, is there anything else? Well, I think it's good because it's, it's very different like musically from anything you've ever done before. I think that's true of a lot of the material on this new album. It doesn't really have much in common with our first record. It doesn't really sound like Sway. It doesn't sound like anything I've really done before. And it's just sort of stood out. Um, I think we knew when it was finished, like as soon as we finished the mix of it back in January, we were just like, this is a real high watermark. This is great. Yeah, it captures the overall tone of the album pretty well. well it's like a flagship song, but um, yeah, the mood of, of the whole record, really. Yeah, and I think it's just, it, it's just got a feeling about it where you feel it will make people's ears prick up and therefore it's a good first thing for them to hear. Yeah. So that was the thinking behind that. Yeah, well, I totally echo your sentiment. To me, you know, obviously it's the first thing I heard from the second works, but uh, after listening to the 11 tracks an awful lot all the way through from beginning to end, it does just have that, I mean, of course, the placebo might have already been placed in my head by virtue of me knowing it was, it's the single, but it does tend to stand out just a little bit differently from the other 10 tracks. Good, good, bad, or otherwise, <laughs> it, it just it does to me. Um, now... Yeah, very much so. And it's, um, yeah. I, I think as well, you know, it's um, it's the kind of song where the rest of the album is, is quite reflective. There's a slightly harder edge to the clean so I think it would stick out even on my first listen. Yes. Uh, just the feeling of it is a little more kind of like edgy and nervy than the rest of the record. Yes, is. Yeah, I think that, yes. To me, it sounds a little bit fraught. That's the word I was kind of digging That's for. Pretty much exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first fraught single. Now, now going from a bio is, is always difficult because it's it's not exactly comprehensive, but it's always interesting to know, in terms of influences, uh, what you listen to and, and, and uh, what you deem important in your uh, in your genesis and trajectory. Uh, so, so I understand, obviously, Sean, you, you've got an interest in folk, but folk is one of the most broad categories on God's green earth, probably second only to jazz. And, and it's well documented that uh, you're a bit of a musician's musician in, in that you are uh, you, you like a bit of old Genesis, bit of Talk Talk and some Peter Gabriel, Richard. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm kind of between that. I went through a, a few um, frog periods a couple of years ago now, but went, around the time they showed that Genesis documentary. Yeah. Like, amazingly awkward Genesis yeah, documentary. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so deep, deep and and it was, yeah, and Talk Talk is always a, a sway, the real kind of, you get a lot of inspiration from bands like that and Hill and stuff like that. But I mean, for the last year or two, I've been in a total um, sort of, uh, what is it, San Francisco, Orange County, there's a, there's a scene going on there. Oh, there? yeah. It revolves around the guy from the OCs called John Dwyer, and um, that, that kind of music that he makes, and a lot of the bands on his labels and the people he works with, Ty Siegel and... Um, People like that, Wand and Michael Cronin. I've been listening to all that. It's it's very kind of psychedelic, damn punk. Gary. It is. It's it's almost it's, it's it's almost difficult to nail down. Are you familiar with Wooden Ships, Richard? I don't know Wooden Ships. No. They're a San Francisco band that I think both of you would seriously enjoy listening to. Their fifth LP was released a couple of weeks ago, and uh, just try and source it. I'd be really interested to know what you both think of it because it, it's it's not a million miles away from what you're talking about with OC. Uh, yeah. And in its own right, it's it's really gaining momentum, and I think you'd really appreciate it. Some current mm -hmm. contemporary San Francisco psych. Yeah. 
which is cool. But the, the, the folk thing you mentioned, it's like it's very specific kind of or category. The folk music I enjoy listening to is very specifically English stuff, and I like it served as plain as possible. Yes. Um, and I like the stuff that kind of is. It's it's very much kind of springs out of the tradition and stuff that if it's an ensemble, it's different people sort of playing together. Um, even kind of folk rock for me is slightly a push too far, with some exceptions. I like it when it's just kind of acoustic instruments and vocals. Um, but that, you know, the musical end of what I like in that area didn't influence what we were doing at all. It was really the lyrical stuff that just started making me think of a different way of approaching the words that I was writing. Yes. In, in terms of the music that, we were, that I personally was listening to and we went up to making this record, it's like I'm actually I'm flicking through my iTunes here at all. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a huge range of stuff I can see. There's like Faustus, Chris Wood, Frank Sinatra, Pet Shop Boys, David Bowie, Lush, Depeche Mode, Scrissy Felici, John Grant. It's like Carly Rae Jepsen. I don't know, like, how much that stuff necessarily feeds in directly, but I, I'm always kind of swimming in a sea of music, and I'm listening to lots of different things at any given time. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about Art Magic is that Art Magic exists so that um, we can express ourselves, and one of the reasons I love writing with Richard is that I love what Richard does naturally. I don't want to put him in a box. I don't want him to do something that isn't him. I want him to be his fullest musical self, and then for me to find a way to respond to that melodically and lyrically. Yeah. So, well, we might talk about like, things we might want to approach in terms of the sound of something, or the production, or if you've written a slow song, you might naturally want to write a fast song next time. Um, I don't really think that we sat around and said very much about where yeah, we might yeah. go no, musically. There was, there was none of that, I think, because I've, I've been in situations in the past where you've sat down to write a song and there's been rules from the off, like you know, no, no minor chords or something like that, and it's just, you can't work to rules like that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know if, if, if you were sitting there on a typical release day as an HMV employee, an R Price employee, and you saw the songs of Other England, oh, that's coming out this Monday. You would you would you would just make that assumption that it was a folk record just by virtue of its title. Yeah, probably. But it's such a good title that at the moment um, we wrote the song. Richard said, "Oh, that'd be a great title track." And then he said, yeah. I love I love the aesthetic too. I mean, I loved I loved uh, the first record's uh, aesthetic. But this this I'm a bit of a stickler for uh, you know for, for how things look and how they're packaged in association with, of course, the audio aspect of things. And I think that's largely lost in the, in the modern music industry but you obviously put a lot of time and, and thought into into the cover and, and I, I it's a kind of piece that I would buy as an independent piece of art uh, had I the means um, how did that come about because I, I love the row houses and I just I just love the uh, I just love the the ghosty aspect of it well that's all Peter James Field who does our artwork um, yeah it's all completely his baby um he we, he has done all of our sleeves and all of our other artwork, work, and he's a genius, and he's basically our secret weapon. Um, and when we approached him to do this record, just like the last one, actually, we just gave him a completely free hand. Yeah. And when he came back, he had, I think, four different images. But the one that's the album cover, he said, this is the one I think it should be, and these are the reasons why. Yes. And you read what you said, and you looked at the image, and you said, yes, absolutely, completely correct. So it was the easiest decision in the world. Yeah, he, he totally gets our magic. I've known him for since I was about 12, and it's cool together, and he's been a freelance um, illustrator for, for many years now, and he's, uh, I just love everything he does. And um, so it was a natural thing with the first record, six years ago, to get, to get him to visually present what it was that we were about. And um, 
he gets it so much better than, you know, he, he did the last album as well, I'm sure he'll do the next one. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, one thing is that there's a lot of our songwriting is... Our songwriting is... I'm not exactly call it observational precisely, because it isn't always, but, you know, there's always been songs we've written that have a kind of... There's a character in them that we're talking about, or we're singing from the perspective of that character. And our new album has quite a lot of that, actually. But even in the older stuff that we've done, that's present in the very first thing we released, I Keep On Walking, one of those songs. Yeah. Um, and Richard pointed out that a lot of people's artwork maintains that kind of observational characteristic. Mm-hmm. And he himself said when he presented us with this image for the front cover, said what, like he sees it as being, you've got this, this small group of houses all together, and then you're watching them from the water across the distance, like from a distance, and it's like you can't get across it because observing. I think it's somewhere near Shoreham on Sea. That's right. Yeah. Like an adaptive version of the Shoreham. Um, and his idea of this kind of observational standpoint tied in so well to the lyrical theme that you know, it has to be that really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful partner to, 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 to the audio. It really is quite wonderful. And, and I just can't stop looking at it. It's, it's one of those things that, forgive me, but I, I, I have the digital copy, but it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm almost impelled just to, just to buy, buy the LP, just so I can have a larger version of the cover. Uh, and there's no disrespect, of course, to, to the music. It's just one of those rare instances where everything, both facets are, are, are done in spades and it's just, it's just, a, just a beautiful package, it's a beautiful record. And, and I was going to ask, ask the, the pair of you if, if you would, would mind each each of you just choose one song off the record that you'd like me to play around this interview. You want to go first, Richard? Yeah, I would choose uh, I'll choose Black Cloud Blue. That was written towards the end of the session. Okay. And there was something about it that I, I think Sean had a couple of different sets of lyrics for it, but when he came up with the one that, that, that's on the album, um, it just so totally, it was like a, the marriage of the sentiment and the feeling behind the music and the lyrics and what it was about. It's great. You, you listen to that, and then boom, then comes Clean Room right afterwards. Yes, yeah, they're a good kind yeah. of AB of kind of dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good, good little sequence that. And what about you, Sean? It's uh, a good question. I'm just looking at the track listing because you know. Have to, be, have to be reminded of the songs that you wrote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the problem is that I we finished it written a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> January, but I've spent that time since then stopping being the artist and started being like the promoter and the PR guy. So I've been yeah. doing PR, doing all the radio plugging and everything for this. And you stop thinking of it as a body of work you've had anything to do with it. It becomes abstract because you're always talking in terms of press releases and third words and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is what I'm looking forward to the gig we're doing in a couple of weeks' time. It'll be a real good chance to dig back into it musically. Well, let's, yeah. t- let's, um, let's, let's touch upon that just after you submit the track. Let's talk about the forthcoming gig in, in a sec. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd say we should go with the opening track, Farming Field, because um, I think it's a perfect album opener. It's, you know, it starts with the sound of Birdsong and finishes with the sound of Rain. Um, I think the central, central metaphors of the lyrics are really interesting, and we've already had people interpret what it's about in very interesting but different ways. I think musically it's really gorgeous, and again, it's just, a, I think if you looked at our CVs and then you heard that track, I'm not sure you'd connect them, and I think that's a really good place to be. I agree 100%. It's something that would... Uh be an unlikely an unlikely product if, if you were paying attention yeah I, I understand exactly where you're coming from now you're saying that you're playing live in a couple of weeks that's exciting where are you are you playing in london playing a place called the poetry cafe in Covent garden and as of two days ago it's sold out which is nice. that is brilliant oh we, so it's going to be a nice little intimate affair yeah we've um it's going to be like a, just a short acoustic performance yeah. like 10 11 songs um and then a pal of ours is going to interview us on stage 
That is wonderful. That sounds great. I'm, I'm, I'm envious. I put the, I'm stuck <laughs> over here. But at least I'll get the pleasure of talking to you. So that, that's in a couple of weeks. Anything uh, planned for this typically mental festival summer season? Have you got anything forthcoming after Covent Garden? That's it for this year, um, as far as the gigs go. Um, we're already making plans for next year, but obviously Richard has had to endure a very large suede size interference <laughs> in his diary. Yes, so. that suede thing's getting in the way of art magic. Fancy that. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. I mean, we were going to, I think the, the plan was, um, with the suede record, that it was, I think it was going to meant to come out next year, but we revised it and done earlier than we thought, which is unusual this way, so it's coming out this year instead. But it means that, yeah, the, the second half of 2018, pretty much, or the, or the last third. Yeah. So we'd like to do some gigs, you know, maybe a mini tour or try and play some unusual places, but it will be next sort of spring. Yeah, because Richard has the Sway tour, and then at the beginning of next year, I've got a tour with Alison Moyer. Yes. So once that's out of the way, um, so we're talking about a third single. Um, we have three finished songs left over from the album sessions, which we might turn into an EP with the with yeah, right. single, possibly. Brilliant. Do some around that. So, and then we can start thinking about how to go forward from there. Really, I mean, I think that we're not going to stop. We're going to try and promote this record the best we can over the next year or so. Yeah. Um, and then we can start thinking about where we go forward from here and exactly how Crab Rock album three is going to be. Well, you already answered my, my my sort of last last serious question, which is about what what material we could possibly uh, hope to hear next and so you know, three or four songs left over from the writing sessions and possibly a third single so that's good to know and that, that will, will that exhaust all the all the sort of creative force for this record then you'll then you'll concentrate on wave three i think so i mean there's a couple of things left that we didn't actually take to full production which are quite good yeah um but they just didn't fit the mood of what we were doing yeah and frankly our <laughs> slightly suicidal approach was if it sounds like a single, it's probably not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. You sound like a 1970s, the antithesis of a 1970s A&R guy. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. If it sort of sounds very vocal, <laughs> big and easy and simple, that was kind of just not really where the mood of the record was. So red flag. I left over were very much the things that feel like they're kind of nice, straightforward, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. slightly in-poppy tracks. And they're perfectly good. I'd be happy for people to hear them. But they say sitting next to the dark of the human heart or something like that, which didn't really work. So they didn't find a place on the album. I could already, I could already envisage the name of the EP, the hits we didn't want you to hear. Yeah, that's exactly. kind of where we're at, really. So, and it was really quite important to me that I wanted people to hear that stuff after the album had settled. So yeah. there was a brief period when I thought, well, should we put these out as B-sides for the clean room or B-sides for yeah. the songs of the ring? And it was just like, no, we <laughs> I'm just I'm just being a selfish bugger too, as I always say. That if if you if you love a band, which I know that you, not just musicians, you have your loves as well. You 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 get greedy. You want more material from them. You want you want to listen to more of them. You often find that the reason that stuff was unreleased is because it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you're in the same vein as me of being like that uber sycophant with some bands. It's really hard to convince yourself if you've followed a band since day one that something actually isn't that good and it might take a while for you just to admit yeah that really ain't the best song on the planet you know <laughs> yeah. you know i'm talking i'm talking like the golden lights cover by the smiths it's like you know i should never have ever convinced myself that that was ever a good idea yeah. but you managed I mean, to somehow it's the content conundrum isn't it it's like back in the day in the 90s it was um formatting happened and suddenly we were doing six b-sides instead of one or two yeah so 
inevitably the, the, the average quality dips over a while. Of course. And now it's sort of, content is just what people want. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of, you, I think all artists are in the same position where they're having to kind of um, reach further and further down the quality scale to find more stuff, you know, to give people because people want stuff. Like those kind of ridiculous five disc reissues of a 45 minute album that now come out. Oh my and word. Like, Oh, so much. There's so many of those where it's like you really don't need. Like I bought, like, I love Fears for Fears, and in fact, this Alison Moyer tour next year is going on tour supporting them doing arenas in the UK. And oh Island. yeah, and but do you need support. do you need five CDs of songs from the big chat? Well, there, there is a, there's a five CD edition of it, and I would have bought it actually because I want the five point one mix, but I bought the two CD edition, and it's very good. And actually, the supplementary material makes a really good album on its own because I'm enough of a nerd that I resequenced it all on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need five different versions of Shout. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm I mean, very yeah. much in the same boat, but, but if you're a completist, it's like, okay, do I just, am I not a completist now? When do you stop that sort of uh, anal retentivity of being a completist of, of artists that you love? There's a certain band called Suede that, that do something similar with, uh, with double CD reissues, but they're not putting out five and six CD, CD super del deluxe sets. Unless, of course, Sony, you've got other ideas, Richard. No, I think we no, we, we do draw a line somewhere. We do, we do stuff to Yeah, I mean, I love the double, the, the, the double CD reissues were lovely, and I think that's, that put the tin lid on it really, really nicely. But, yeah. uh, but actually, in truth, though, Sean, the, the, the Tears for Fears one, there are a couple of gems on that, but still really milking it to, to, to give you... Uh, uh, five CDs that you have to pay, uh, you know, literally a mortgage payment for to... to, well, to I'm to kind of sympathetic because I understand now that there's a whole reissue market that exists for late middle-aged hedge fund, hedge fund managers because <laughs> they're the group of people who are buying yeah. physical property. Yeah. And so if there's a market there and people can make a bit of money, I have absolutely no problem with them doing it. You know, so I, I don't really mind. And it's possible to do those reissues and do them very sensitively. So like the two disc edition... Yes, there's too many of the shout, but it's great. And recently, the Pet Shop Boys completed their Parlophone catalogue with their yes. two this reissue series, which I've got all of, yeah. which are, I think, the model in how to do these things. And the great thing is that most of the material is stuff that has been on B-sides. It's the odd unreleased thing, but there's a load more unreleased stuff that they didn't put out because it just isn't good enough, and they're not afraid to say so. And I think that's the right approach. And that's okay. I mean, to admit it, to, to try and fob it off as consummate product is, is, is what people... Not... not, not can certainly try to do, but by not mentioning it, there's an assumption that that's what they are trying to present in these packages. Yeah, I mean, it's just that thing when if people buy it and then they complain, it's like, well, you did buy it, and it was fine. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. But but my bone of contention is is that is if I'm a completist, you know, I'm, a, I'm at a suede gig in nineteen blah blah blah, and you know they chuck a flexi disc in the crowd, and I've got four copies of that flexi disc. For many years, I think I've got the Holy Grail, and it comes out on a reissue. So there's pros and cons. There's, there's pro. Sorry. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we could we could have this debate to the end of time, but at the end, if if we all have endless resources, we could buy it all and not worry about it. But uh, well, it's all on Spotify anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm waiting for Spotify, which is a real conundrum for you guys too, because it always has implications upon uh, on, on on revenue. Is you know they're banding around the idea of of, of allowing you to have lossless as opposed to 320 MP3 on, on Spotify. And I worry about that, because I like to have all my audio lossless, as I'm sure you two do as well. But, no, I like 320 as well, actually. I'm not that bossy. 
And not that fussy? Okay, well. Because yeah. I want to do it on an iTunes, and iTunes doesn't let you use lossless unless it's Apple's own codec, and MP3 at 320 sounds fine for me. Yeah, I, I always convert FLAC to M, M4A, which kind of keeps about 95% of the FLAC away content. Anyway, all, that, all that being aside, I think it would be very interesting if, if they do adopt that, because I, I, I do wonder then what these so-called hedge fund people that you allude to in that really funny analogy there is, is that, you know, owning the product or having access to lossless, that, that's the next frontier. I don't think that's a selling point for most people because the entire world listens to YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is like, is so free yeah, yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah, no one cares anymore. So well, I, don't, I think like, it's the whole title thing of like, Pono's like, oh yes, we've got HD, no one cares. Pono comes out, Neil Young said, no one cares. People want the songs they want to listen to at a minimum standard of quality, which we've now hit, and they want it in their phone, and they want to listen whenever they like. True and enough, I, but I'm just not one of those people, so I've, I'm, I'm in the vast minority, and it makes things harder for me. Well, I mean, I can understand it, and I don't like the lack of revenue that we get from streaming, because it is a bit of a joke, but it's like, there's no, we can tilt at windmills all day, but that's the musical reality we live in. And actually, with our new record, we're doing a series of creative playlists, yeah, tying each of our song, each of the songs in the album will have its own playlist, and the songs will be on there by other artists that will relate thematically or musically or lyrically in some way. And part of the reason for doing that is it's like yes, you're always trying to engage your fan base, but it's also you're trying to get onto bigger Spotify playlists. Yes, because that and you can start gaining a little more kind of audience share, and people can see you in a different light. And so yeah. you have. Work within those confines, and yet it's not ideal in terms of the revenue. But that's the industry as it is now, and that's what we have to do. Yeah, and I, res yeah. I respect you. I respect your, your stance. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an unmitigated marketing tool that you have to leverage. Otherwise, you, you are doing yourself a disservice. Exactly. Uh, I've been sitting shouting about it all day, but it's like, and I still, I subscribe to Spotify, but I still buy all of my records. Physically. Yeah. My rule is, if I listen to it three times on Spotify, I have to buy it. That's a wonderful rule. I wish that that would change. That would change everything if everybody adhered to that moral code, Richard. <laughs> you self-righteous bugger! Unbelievable! You've set a new precedent. I mean, I don't hold it against people who just want to listen to music. You know, it's not their fault that the way model has worked out means at the moment. No, I understand. But but you you're sort of touching upon, you know, just just get it on my phone so I can have it. I've got. You know, I, I, I take pride in, in, in having some decent musical equipment, but it's also embarrassing that my kids have got better headphones than I have, yet they're perfect, <laughs> perfectly happy to listen to, uh, to really poor quality YouTube rips, which the irony is, of course, is that all, all the, the, the great hardware does is just enhance the shitty sound to make it sound even worse than it would on a, on a bog-standard pair. But that irony is lost on them. <laughs> so I, I just... I just let let it pass me by as 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 they pass my CD collection by as well without even batting an eyelid. Whole different ball game. Did you you two don't have children, do you? Yeah, that, that's that's revelation. When when you have them, you think, oh yeah, they're going to be listening to this and getting into that, and when they actually end up doing none of that, it's it's a bit deflating actually. <laughs> You've got all these resources and they just choose to ignore them. Because people don't really have even CD players anymore. It's a real um, novelty, you know, the younger generation when they get a CD, and I, I, I've seen, you know, you can sit and look at it, and the, and the poster that came with it, and a 90s edition of an album, which had like, you know, the poster and the lyric sheet and all the posters and all that stuff, and, you know, to, to, to somebody of the younger generation, that's a real kind of um, curio and novelty, because they're just not used to it. Yeah, just please don't start re putting your stuff out on cassette. 
Okay, well I seem to I seem to you know press press the bruise there, but it, I, I, we share the same sentiment. But it's gone. It's getting from the sublime to the ridiculous. I think we can safely say that. Absolutely. Uh, well, on, on the theme of ridiculous, uh, I'd like to ask you one one last question, which is entirely unrelated to your your obvious music talent. Uh, I I ask everybody this question. It's hypothetical. Art Magic uh, in Ottawa, you've just performed a brilliant gig, you're around my place with a hot beverage in your hand, I bring out the Magic Biscuit tin, and you can choose any biscuit or biscuit derivative on God's green earth, past, present or even future, what would you choose? I would choose Ernest uh, Cornish gingerbread. Fair play to you, that is a very specific biscuit and I can safely say you'll be, you're the only taker thus far. <laughs> I get them all then. <laughs> yeah, you get the whole stash of furnace Cornish gingerbreads. As for me, well, the problem is that like I can't have biscuits in the house, then I will know that they're there, and I won't rest <laughs> until they've all been eaten. So I don't tend to have biscuits around very much because it just makes passive. Well, thank goodness but, it's hypothetical. But yeah. I do love, I do love a good all, all butter shortbread finger, um, and I'm not even particularly fussed about the brand. Um, You're brand so, agnostic. That's good. That, that's that's easier for me to, to get the graphics. And you like if they're the kind of all butter good ones are just like you know they have their correct structural integrity for dipping into tea, <laughs> which is extremely important. Yeah, you don't. You got to dunk, and if it starts kind of disintegrating the moment it hits the tea, then we've got a serious problem. Yeah. And I'm not going to be happy about it. So one thing that a well-made shortbread finger is that kind of hardness that has. It's so pleasing and impervious to coastal erosion. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that. That is a lot of caveats I've got to put attached to this one particular <laughs> derivative of shortbread finger. But okay, it has to adhere to all that criteria, and it has to have a certain consistency so that it won't uh, get the equivalent of a brewer's droop when it hits the tea. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. These things are important. Well, of course, well, apparently so. Crikey, I've created a monster. Um, th thank you, the pair of you. It's been an absolute pleasure. This will be available to listen to in its entirety, either the end of day Monday or first thing on Tuesday. And um, I'm so happy that you've chosen the two tracks. I'll choose the third one. And I'm really looking forward to sharing the story with everybody this weekend. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Darren. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a lengthy one, wasn't it? Said the actress to the bishop. Thank you so much, Sean, and thank you so much, Richard. What a great interview that was. It went uh, beyond the usual uh, 20, 30 minutes, but it was well worth it, and uh, I hope you really, really gleaned a lot from it, as I did. One more song to get to before we, uh, we wrap things up for this episode. I'm going to play you one more track as chosen by uh, uh, the lads themselves, Black Flowers at Bloom, another beauty of the songs of other England.
So ends the feature on the wonderful art magic in as much as so ends episode 86 of Near Perfect Pitch. Thanks so much to each and every one of you for listening. Huge thanks to Sean McGee and Richard Oakes. Secondary thanks to the uh, Shortbread Finger and the Furnace Cornish Gingerbread. And as I always ask at the end of the programme, please, I implore you, if you know anybody who has similar consummate, meticulous, wonderful musical taste such as yours, please turn them onto the programme because... It's a lot of work to do this program on a weekly basis, and uh, the fuel that I thrive on is, is listenership. So the more listeners I can get, the better I feel, and hopefully I can just uh, make the show better and better over the course of time. Thanks so much, as I say, uh, back next week for another instalment of Near Perfect Pitch, specifically episode 87. Until then, have a great week. ta